0: Welcome to the Elusive Consumer Podcast. Ellie's guest today is Sally Mueller, founder and CEO of the menopause brand Womaness. They'll be talking about Sally's path to entrepreneurship, how she built a business targeting an underserved audience, and menopositivity in reaching elusive consumers. Let's get started on the Elusive Consumer Podcast. Um, I'm going to jump straight into this because I have so many questions for you and I am so excited to have you here with us today, particularly because the audience that your company targets is such an elusive consumer group. Mm -hmm. So I'm very keen to hear your thoughts about data, how you collect data and how that impacts your work and your product innovation. But before we talk about womanness, I'd love to hear a bit more about Sally and your background and your entrepreneurial journey.
1: Great. Well, thank you, Ellie. It's really um, fun to be a part of your podcast. Um, so my background actually started at Target Corporation right out of college, and I was a merchant at Target for about 10 years in apparel, and then I moved over to the marketing area for the next 15 years and had an amazing career in marketing, Um, was really responsible for a lot of the fashion and marketing initiatives, uh, the designer program that uh, brought in the likes of Isaac Mizrahi and Missoni and many other designers in between. Uh, My team was responsible for all the marketing of those programs and I just learned a lot about Building brands, whether it was private label brands or partnership brands, during that time, and um, decided to start my own business in 2010 and leave uh, a beloved brand that I that I worked for for 25 years. But I just felt like it was time to do something more entrepreneurial when I was 45 years old. So I left and started my own business. And I wanted to move to the brand side to really help retailers like Target and several others. And that was my focus. So over the next 12 years, actually helped um, bring some really great uh, brands to retail, but also such as Who What Wear, which is known as a fashion media company and brought it into physical product, but also incubated some really incredible new brands um, my team and I at Who But Wear helped create First, which is a clean skincare brand that's sold at Target and Walmart and other other retailers, and several other initiatives. So it was really a great experience. Uh, those 12 years of owning my own business, um, eventually going in-house at um, Who But Wear and really creating you know these incredible brands. So um, school, it came about you know, while I was, I was going through menopause and having my own hmm. menopause experience. And then, so it's it's really a business story, but it's also a personal story. So I, you know, the the long and short of it is I was experiencing menopause. I knew that I was in menopause and beyond, you know, the first stage, which is perimenopause. Hmm. But what I didn't realize was all of these things that I was experiencing were related to menopause. I thought they were just stress and right. You know, I kind of blamed a hectic travel schedule. So it was sleep, sleep issues. It was night sweats. It was, you know, stress and anxiety. It was um, low libido. You know, and all of those things are kind of interrelated. You know, when you start not sleeping well, you, you're, you start to affect every aspect of your life. But it wasn't until I went to a doctor at the Mayo Clinic did I start to really understand that those symptoms were really part of menopause. And it was very, very common for women to experience those kind of symptoms. I mean, those are some of the most uh, common symptoms. And the doctor was so gracious about educating me about menopause, making me not feel alone, And then at the end of the appointment, she suggested that I check out some over-the-counter products on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And I did. I checked those out when I got home, and I thought, I am never buying any of these products. These products are not made with clean formulations. They are really outdated. And, you know, I was very savvy at this point because I had just helped create, you know, a clean skincare brand, and I was really steeped in the the knowledge of the beauty industry and the personal care industry and what was going on. So I thought, "Boy, why am I not doing this? Why am I not tackling this space? Right. I am squarely in it. I know so many women, you know, all my friends and colleagues and just so many people in my my community that are in it and I should really tackle this space. It must be a huge space." And that's when mm-hmm. I really set out to to address it so that's my story of how I got from you know post-college to where I am now and it was it's been a really exciting career a very long career I've been obviously working for what 35 years or so and but it's been this has been the most rewarding I would say is really really helping women feel Mm -hmm. and look better
0: Right. And I want to touch upon that because I read that one of your core missions beyond that educational piece that you just mentioned is a concept of menopositivity. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what that means for you personally, as well as your organization?
1: Yeah. So that really came about, my co-founder Michelle and I really believed that it was, it was so important for us to kind of reframe the conversation around menopause and make it you know, obviously less taboo for sure, but also not fall into the trap of the stereotypical like menopause jokes. We Mm. wanted it to be uplifting. We were, you know, both branding people. And when we looked around at even the imagery that was available when we were first concepting womaness, it was appalling. You know, women Mm. were just portrayed in such outdated ways. And, you know, we know that that's not how we are today, that we're very cool, modern, beautiful women, you know, that are 40 to 75 and plus years old. Um, And we wanted to really celebrate that. And so we thought of menopositivity being our way of expressing that it's this outlook on life. It's this more radiant view of this stage of life because so many women told us it was a really incredible stage of change not just physical change but also the mental change that goes with it just like you know if you're if you've always wanted to start your own business now's the time to do that or if you're going to retire and travel the world now's the time to do it it's this kind of epiphany that a lot of women have and it's really it's kind of like shedding all the things that have been holding you back and mm-hmm. so that's what menopositivity is all about and it's it's really based on the goal of being educated about menopause but also inspired by being around the right community and we you know we believe that if you're educated and inspired from community you're going to have a much more easier experience going through menopause.
0: Right. How do you go about getting that message out and building trust in a community? Especially when there's certain challenges in the advertising space, right? Can you tell us a bit about those challenges and how you've gone about building that trust in that space?
1: Yeah, well, there's there's so many challenges. <laughs> First of all, um, you know, reaching our our woman is really it's not easy, right? It's not like reaching a Gen Z or a millennial consumer, right? And there's challenges with that too. Um, Um, But, you know, I had this career of really focusing on more of the younger generation. So I understood the playbook of, you know, partnering with influencers. And obviously today, TikTok can be so explosive. That isn't what happens with our consumer. She is very skeptical. Um, She is, she really does her homework. She does a lot of research before she buys one product. And our product is really affordable. So it might be a little bit easier for her to make that hurdle but still and I totally respect this she's so discerning that mm. she doesn't even want to buy you know a $29 face cream until she's done the homework on it and so it's it's a different if it's it's a different mindset than the younger consumer and um it's a different way of reaching her but the advertising world does not make it easy. You know, we obviously have to advertise in a lot of different ways. You know, we spend a lot of money uh, on Meta, which is the owner of Facebook and Instagram, as as your audience probably knows. And we can't advertise some of our products. You know, right. they won't approve our ads. Anything that is related to sexual wellness, sometimes even our supplements, don't get approved. And You know, we're here to try to help women feel better. And, you know, sexual wellness is part of feeling better, too. It's not, you know, obviously it's vaginal dryness is a symptom. And even without the sexual part of the story, we still can't advertise a lot of those products. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of us in the industry that are tired of, you know, of these advertising policies that we're trying Mm -hmm. to make. A lot of change but it's it's hard we have to run a business at the same time um but i i think it is it's so challenging but so exciting at the same time to try to reach our consumer and build that trust and i think we finally you know since we're the consumers too it was a little bit more obvious to us about how to do that like outstanding customer service um, voices that they can tr- they they trust. So don't think about it as like an influencer strategy. Think about it as these women that they trust already, and they're we're just telling their story, right? And so it's just a whole different way of marketing to mm-hmm. our audience than uh, I would think what a millennial millennial or Gen Z brand is experiencing.
0: Right. So your products are available both in. Uh, select target stores, Ulta Beauty, I believe, as well as online through your website and so forth. How do you tailor your marketing strategy to reach consumers both offline and online?
1: Well, I think, you know, our consumer right now, I think, has really become a pretty sophisticated online shopper. And Mm -hmm. the reason is she really does. I think maybe during the pandemic, she started to get more comfortable with it like everyone else did right Um, but i think just the marriage of education and information with product you know the more we contextualize that product given how discerning she is she just wants you know she wants to buy it right then and there Mm -hmm. when after she's really become knowledgeable about the product um so it's an easier shopping experience I think she still wants to shop in store. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we're not making it easy for her to find the product she's looking for in store. It's still a very, um, you know, it's a very, um, I would say cumbersome, you know, it's not a seamless process right now to shop in a lot of retail stores. So the more we can pull the product together, really tell the story, I don't expect to educate her much in the retail environment. I think that's tough, but I think just Mm -hmm. make it easier for her to shop. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think that's really the future is how do we make, especially a category that includes like our brand includes supplements, sexual wellness, and skin and body. So really figuring out how to present the product in store is the key. Um, But I think it's really, you know, you asked about the difference. How do you market you know, between those two, I think, you know, you have to almost think about every channel has nuances, even the right, you know, Facebook versus Instagram versus um, TikTok versus all of these other, even within social platforms. So it's important that you really figure out that nuance between all the different channels.
0: Right. I want to talk a little bit about data. So as a data-driven podcast, um, obviously, we're going to be curious about how you leverage data, market research to create products that cater to the specific needs of your um, target audience. Can you share some insights into your process?
1: Yeah, I mean, we had a process, We, you know, obviously still today, but it's very different today now that we have actual customers. But when we first right. started, we did a lot of focus groups uh, mm-hmm. across the US to really understand not only what women wanted from our brand, but what kind of products and what was really paramount with those products. So we knew that they were pretty sophisticated when it when it came to ingredients, um, clinical, you know, clinically derived ingredients so that we could reference those clinical studies. And that was that was something that was pas- you know Michelle and I were passionate about anyway um and we knew that we had to be careful with our products uh around you know anyone that has breast cancer in their family so we we made all of our products estrogen free and soy free to make sure that they were safe for any any you know people that experience any sort of cancer in their family or previous cancer issues um but we we really heard from women that they wanted our line to be affordable, you know, so they could buy multiple products for multiple symptoms. So again, we use focus groups at the beginning, but mm-hmm. then once we've launched, we started to get so much feedback from women about what they're looking for, and it comes from multiple sources. Um, a lot of it is through our interactions daily with our customers. So we we really believe that customer service is something so important to this customer i think they're shocked when they talk to a human because they're so right. used to thinking they're working with bots and they they mm-hmm. actually ask is this actually a real person behind this phone call yes this is the ceo you're calling sally
0: <laughs> right um,
1: or ann on our team that handles many many questions um, whether it's shipping questions or other questions so it's so important that we take all of that interaction and we we really respond. We 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 spend a lot of time as a team digesting what we're hearing from our customers, and then we do a lot of surveys um, because our customers are so engaged mm-hmm. and really we, we they're part of our journey, right? They you know we can't be successful without them, and they're part of this this movement that we've created. So it's important that we're listening to you know, asking for their needs and responding to their needs. And you know we try to validate that with obviously any sort of industry market analysis. But you know, when you're a startup, you can't afford to you can't afford to subscribe to all of these super, super expensive uh, market data reports. And you know, i wish I wish we could because I'm a numbers geek as well. but it's you have to, kind of also bring in your own industry expertise. You have to talk to Mm -hmm. different people that maybe have created certain businesses before around those particular categories to understand what the hurdles are. And then you have to mainly listen to the customer.
0: Right. You mentioned a very important aspect there of the human touch and building that relationship and rapport with your audience. How do you maintain that as you scale?
1: Well, um, it's a it's a good question. I think we can maintain it. Obviously, we use um, a platform for all of our customer service, so that streamlines everything.
0: Right. Um,
1: I think right now we think it's so important to invest in this, and over time, you know, we could end up having you know, someone, we have someone right now on our staff that I would say probably works part-time on the customer service. And then the other part, she works on all the community activities. So she's very steeped in what the consumer and our customer is looking for. Um, but I think over time we can add to that team and scale it that way. But I think it's not something we're going to, um, Outsource, it's so important for us to stay connected to our consumer. And I think that's how big companies start to fail because Mm. they aren't connected anymore. And they're kind of going down a path where they think they have the answer and their consumer has changed and they're not keeping up with their consumer. So I really believe it's an important place for us to invest in.
0: And you talked about the pandemic earlier in terms of how it's shifted behaviors what other trends or shifts have you seen in consumer behavior that um, have led your company to adapt in different ways?
1: Yeah, I think there's, you know, I think obviously there's so many other, it's, it's not maybe a trend, but just other factors of the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that our consumer is not as impacted by the economic situation, but she but she is. You know, I Mm -hmm. I also don't want I always say to our team, there is a level of impact, even though we're in a need category and we're in a new category. Um it's it's, you know, I I, that's what I'm so excited about too, is just that we are more probably recession proof, but there Mm -hmm. still will be an impact. I don't want to say today that there isn't a percent of our consumers that aren't pulling back. They are, they are. And so, you know, it's important to stay grounded. I think um, the other thing that I think is a trend that I'm just feeling is just the overwhelming amount of brands out there and products and no one knows who to trust. No one knows what to believe. And you fall into a trap with you know, all these brands doing kind of the same marketing. Mm -hmm. And it's like this direct response marketing. So it's a lot of hyperbole. And that's what I'm trying to be like, the honest brand, the brand that in and we feel like we have so much integrity, we put in the best ingredients at active levels, we've invested in clinical studies we've invested in testing all of our products with doctors you know not just the the baseline testing the quality and all of those things, but we've taken it a step further. So we feel very good about it but it is, I think a challenge of just how much our consumer is dealing with in terms of just mm-hmm. barrage of advertising and really not knowing who to believe. And I I feel like that's a trend that's about to, Explode is just this honest approach in advertising and how important that is. And consumers are going to be really voting with their dollar. They're going to go towards brands that they feel like they can trust, they've had a good experience with, and they're not always going to fall for, you know, the advertising. So it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to call it, but I think that's kind of an undercurrent that's happening. I think mm-hmm. there's also, back to the barrage of products too. There's just a need to really streamline for the consumer. And that's, you know, we have, we have about 17 products and we're never going to be a company that has, you know, 35 products. We really want to stay very, very consolidated. Every product has a role and we just don't want to make it confusing for the consumer. So I think that's also a trend that you know, has been out there for a few years. And some brands are really capitalizing on that.
0: Right. Let's talk a little bit about the stigma that the whole concept of menopause had for years and how that is now starting to shift and change. We're seeing celebrities, everyone from Naomi Watts to Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey sharing sure. their personal stories. But how about corporations? What responsibility do you think companies in the beauty wellness industry have? And have you seen or noticed any shift in their advertising and highlighting this particular group of women?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, and we talk about this a lot internally, it's just like menopause is kind of part of that, you know, we're part of the aging movement mm-hmm. as well and celebrating, you know, this this um, consumer, whether she's over 40, you know, menopause doesn't always also affect just women over 40, you can have menopause, you can go into menopause in your 30s. So we teeter around, you know, pro-aging and menopause at the same time. But I do think a lot of beauty companies are starting to see the light around embracing this older consumer and how much buying power she has. And she has, you know, she is willing to switch her beauty routine She's not stuck, you know, being 100 percent loyal to her brands. If you compel her through, you know, the right, I think the right efficacy story or, you know, whatever, whatever story is, you can get her to move and switch brands because I think there was this old perception like it's impossible to switch her. So Mm -hmm. why invest in advertising to her? And that's not true. Um, But I think a lot of companies are starting to embrace and show this more ageless consumer, which is really exciting to see.
0: Right. And in terms of the consumer, um, we talk about them as a group of women in a certain age group, and you emphasize an important point there in terms of the difference between the perimenopause and, and women in menopause. I also want to touch upon the accessibility and inclusivity aspect. Mm-hmm. How do you go about making sure that you can promote greater awareness and understanding of menopause across cultures?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, you know, our goal is to just represent those different cultures. Um, you know, we've, we've got to represent different ages because you can be you know, in your late 30s, let's say the sweet spot of going through Mm -hmm. perimenopause might be early 40s, right? And then we have customers in their 60s, 70s. So we, we have this huge demographic range. So it's important that we represent that. We represent the different cultures. And it comes down to you know, we want women to see themselves in our marketing and really be able to relate to our brand. And then, you know, we, we, because we're accessibly priced and we're available in Alta, Beauty and, you know, select Target stores, we're on Amazon, we sell on QVC, womanist.com. We feel we're really well positioned to be accessibly available as well. So it's not just a price, but also be available where, where these women are shopping. So um, it's it's an ongoing effort. We're not perfect, but we are always striving to reflect our consumer in all of our advertising.
0: Right. And you've also started a community on Facebook where yes. women can relate and share stories. Do you think that that is um, a suitable channel and do you see women of this age group being on that channel these days and are there any other channels where you try to make or raise awareness?
1: Yes. um, so our after the private Facebook group is called mm-hmm. the after Party. Mm-hmm. And um we called it that because it's really, you know, symbolic of like you have more fun at the after party than you do at the actual party. So it's just it was really born out of the desire to connect women, to share tips. Um, some of our experts um, and just have an open conversation. It's not, you know, it's not really a channel for us to push products or anything like that. It's it's really just get women talking to each other and feeling more comfortable with the space. So I do think it's really playing that role. Um, I think, you know, that is a total, via, you know, very viable channel for brands. I know a lot of other brands that have private Facebook groups, they don't always call it the same name as the brand. So mm-hmm. they keep this distinction like what we've done. Um, but there's so many other ways to get your, your message out. Like we have an incredible, e, I call it e-newsletter, but it's basically, you know, our newsletter that goes out and it's really important and women find it really important to get information from our experts. And so we don't always talk about our products. You know, they they want to learn about our products too, but they also want just information about menopause and midlife, what books should they read. We bring in other facets of their life that they're really interested in. So that's another important channel. Social media just at large is an important channel. Um so each channel does have its role and it's important to be kind of everywhere. <laughs> mm. That's what's right. hard. You have to be really everywhere.
0: Right. And I like the idea of calling it after party to bring the humor out. And right. I don't know if you've seen that uh post of Courtney Cox on Instagram where she jokes about the whole menopause aspect. And there's a lot of that where people have this fear, particularly in the paramenopause age, of what it means to enter your Menopause stage, and how do you battle that in terms of the fear of aging, the fear of what it might mean for you, particularly as you approach that stage of your life?
1: I think you know a lot of women are afraid because they don't have the knowledge, mm-hmm. and they're smart women. We're all right. we're all in this together. So much like mm-hmm. my own experience, I didn't feel informed, and I think women want to feel informed. They don't know where to get the information. Obviously we have invested in so much information. So I really encourage women to check out, you know, our blog on womanist.com. We work with the Mayo Clinic. It's it's amazing the experts that we have working with us because we're all passionate about educating women. So I think that fear subsides to some extent when they feel like they're in control, they're more educated, they're empowered, they're more in control. I think when they also have a bad experience, maybe with their doctor, maybe their doctor is an OBGYN that helped deliver their children, but knows nothing about menopause. Hmm. That is what we've heard is very de- devastating for a lot of women, where they have to switch doctors and then they start going down this journey of interviewing doctors, maybe not getting the answers that they want. you know. And it, it, it's only because doctors are not at, educated themselves in menopause very Mm. few have it's an elective course in residency so it's important that people know that it's hard to find an expert in menopause so we just encourage women to keep trying to reach out if they need help we have access to a lot of doctors we know and um there's also NAMS website. Also, it's it's called NAMS.org. Also has a directory of menopause experts in each of the major, I think, across the United States. I don't know. It's not just major markets, but you can put in your zip code and it can give you recommendations. But I think that's what causes the fear. And then the lack of conversation. So women mm-hmm. do want to talk about this. You know, they might start out being very shy and scared, but then, boy, they open up and they tell you so many things. So it's just giving them the permission to talk about it.
0: Right. And what can companies or corporations do in terms of workplaces? You touched upon the healthcare care providers, um, but... It's funny because we get advice to do various types of checkups, but how often do you get advice to check your hormone levels, for instance? And what can companies do to, you know, encourage their employees to take action?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's something we published a lot recently about was menop- is in menopause in the workplace. And we're mm-hmm. going to continue providing a lot of, um, you know, stories, uh, articles about it because it's a very underserved, uh, that particular part of menopause is so underserved. So Mm -hmm. my my recommendation is that corporations treat it much like fertility Mm -hmm. and really provide information to their employees about menopause and start just educating the whole workforce about menopause. Even if you're a man or you're younger and you're not in it, you should be aware of This is another part of women's health. Um, You might have a colleague that has a hot flash in a meeting, and it's okay, you know? And so everyone needs to just be more aware about it. I think that's honestly the first step. And Mm -hmm. and then, you know, obviously, there's, there's down the road, there might be benefits that come along with helping to support women in menopause and other things that companies can do. Um, The real progressive ones should be on it already, but I think let's just start with helping corporations educate their workforce.
0: Right. And can you talk to us about any particular collaborations or interesting insights that you found through doing market research or your focus groups we talked earlier about the product innovation side of things, but anything else in particular that research and data awareness has led for your organization and what that impact it has had?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just um, what what we've learned is much more about the media. You know, how do we, in the role of celebrity, too, with with a brand like mm-hmm. ours, you know? what we've heard from women is they, they want to hear from re- real women. They really don't respond to celebrities. And mm-hmm. uh, we live in a culture where it's very celebrity driven. We live in a world where the brand solution always becomes, well, you need a celebrity attached to your brand. And mm-hmm. while, you know, we do bring in celebrities and we do have a relationship with celebrities are, you know, we're about real women for the most part. And, I think that's what makes our brand so different, um, and a lot of that came back or was reinforced by just all the research that we did and hearing from our consumer on what she's what she really wants from us. We obviously hear a lot of feedback and data around what kind of top you know symptoms they're experiencing. Like we know one of the top symptoms that they want addressed is weight gain.
0: Mm-hmm. and we don't
1: have a product per se for weight gain so we've really doubled down on providing content and we have some partnerships in the in the weight area that i think really provide a lot of value to our our customers so we're not capitalizing on that necessarily from a sales perspective but we know it's so important to provide these partnerships this content this information and this support because it ultimately is servicing our customer. So um, and the reason why we don't have a product is there really isn't a product, you know, that right. just is the magic pill um that's safe and that we're gonna we're gonna offer. So again, it that's that's how we use data is just really hearing what what is what are her needs. What is she looking for? You know, how do we reach her? When when do we reach her? You know, we know our customer loves traveling, loves cooking, loves all sorts of, she's multidimensional. She's dealing with a lot of, uh, this, we call it, you know, the sandwich generation. Not that that's a unique term that's been out there for years, but it is true. Like she's dealing with taking care of aging parents. She's got teenagers mm-hmm. perhaps at home still. And it is a stressful time in her, in her life um, because she's got her own changes, right? And she's dealing with bookends of uh, responsibility. So again, I think it's just a matter of um, responding to it and making sure that we make her life easier.
0: Right. And in terms of her and who she is, you talked earlier about the age, different ages. Um, Let's talk about the generations. Have you seen a shift in how the millennial and Gen X perceive menopause and want to learn more about it versus the boomers, for instance.
1: Oh, yes. There's rightfully so a big difference in the generations. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a boomer. My co-founder is a Gen X and we have on our team, we have Gen X and then we have millennial and even Gen Z. Mm -hmm. It's so fun to see the difference between the generations. But I I would say what really pulls everyone together is the unifying factor is that people do want to talk about it. The boomers probably less so because they're a little embarrassed still. There's, you know, they're so scarred by so many years right. of like, hiding it under the rug. But the mm-hmm. younger generation and Gen X are like, let's go for it. Let's talk about it you know, just feeling really excited and empowered. And even if you're not in menopause, you're excited about learning more. We've had so many young women show up to our events. You know, they either come with their mom or they just come on their own and they're like, thank you, thank you for creating this. This is so cool. This is so interesting. I'm not gonna be as afraid when I start to go through it. So I think because the millennials have been breaking so many of the taboos and obviously the Gen Z, Yes, they're going to be much more open. They're going to not put up with any sort of like taboo around the subject. Gen X is more tolerant around that, but they're really inspired, I would say, by the millennials. And then the boomers are just kind of like, you know, I'm I'm kind of tired of keeping this under the rug too long. And we we do need to start talking about it. So it's, it's right. just uh, so interesting to see the difference across right. these generations.
0: And on the topic of stigma and taboo, you know, with the awareness raised around mental health lately and people talking about it more openly, why do you think the stigma and the taboo around the topic of menopause has stayed with us for so long?
1: I think it has to do with menopause really was equaling like old age. I mean, then there was Mm -hmm. this perception that you were over the hill, you were not in you know, you weren't fertile anymore. So you must be, you must be old and not giving back to society. And that's, that's why it's so, it's such a taboo that needs to be desperately broken because that's so wrong. And I think that's why, you know, women are really standing up and saying, I am giving back to society and men too. I mean, some Mm -hmm. of our biggest fans are men that have gone through this with their wives or they're just passionate about, being part of it and um and so i think there's there's just so many you know centuries of passing on this this you know i would think you know old age and menopause going together when there was just again lack of education because you can be in menopause in your 30s or 40s and obviously 51 is the sweet spot but we're not old we're not and who cares you know even when you're 80 you're not old you're in the you know maybe the home stretch but you can still live a vibrant life and still give back to society so um right. so yeah it's ageism it's it's there's it all it all wraps in together
0: right and what do you see as the future for the beauty lifestyle industry and how is womanness positioning itself for the future
1: well, I think the future is really more of this merging and it already is happening obviously, the merging of wellness products and beauty products coming together because, you know, beauty is also feeling good inside and mm-hmm. not just the external beauty. So, I think it's it's all wrapped together, but that's it's probably more of the present day. I I see the future um retailers really responding to that, trying to figure out how to merchandise these solutions more so the consumer finds the solutions easier in the store. Mm-hmm. I think there's um, a lot more service that has to come to the consumer. I think there's been such a incredible explosion of telehealth companies and um, you know different ways of getting health care <laughs> um, right. that I think is part of, you know in a way merging with what we're doing um and there's you know that the, there's so much innovation that's happening in that space that i think is also affecting the beauty industry i mean think about the explosion of spas and mm. uh, you know medi spas right where you can get services so i think that could even have a big impact on how we eventually sell our products too, because the consumer is going in, she's talking about her skin, she's talking about perhaps um, her sexual wellness issues. It's this whole self that's really being treated and not uh, you know not just one dimension of it.
0: Right. If you were to give advice to other entrepreneurs that are looking to create innovative brands and products that cater to niche markets and have Particularly elusive consumers such as yours, what advice would you give?
1: Well, I think know that it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. Nothing is fast when you're creating a new category or targeting an elusive consumer, and so you've got to have the right, um, honestly, the right financial modeling done where you're not expecting this, you know, incredible growth explosion in the first year. <laughs> year or two, it's going to take a while and you have to invest a lot up front in not only hard work, you know, that sweat equity piece, but also the marketing piece to really get the message out and to reach and try different things, test and learn to, to reach your elusive consumer. So it's just a lot of it comes down to how you think about your capital uh, efficiency how you think about your financial modeling and some of those, you know, very, very important foundational things um, that go into running a startup.
0: Right. And you talked a little bit earlier about the accessibility of data and being able to invest in certain data pools. What importance has data had for your organization? And how do you think, startup companies can go about getting that data from their consumers when they might not be at a stage where they can invest too much in in market research for instance
1: yeah i mean there's a lot of data if you if you're running an online business there's mm-hmm. a ton of data and so you know that's you know you've got tools already set up through shopify if you use a shopify platform or um you know ga but beyond that it's so important that you hire people that love data but not mm-hmm. are so bogged down in data that they can't make a decision so in a startup you've got to move so fast but i think what we've really been passionate about is hiring people on our team that love data can use it effectively make decisions quickly test and learn from that data and move on and it should be everyone. It should not just be relegated to the head of digital or the loyalty head, you know, employee. It needs to be across the whole organization. Everyone needs to be steeped in data. And, uh, you know, I think given Michelle and my background, we really respect data. I think you can get into a trap of like, you know, I'm not going to really listen to that data. um, But because we've grown up in corporate environments and different you know different environments i think we really respond to data um but at the end of the day obviously it's important that um you make the right you know you you have to it's the art and science you have to make the make the call at some point test and learn though that's the biggest advice that i have right get more data by testing and learning
0: right um I want to ask you finally about a few key takeaways from both the companies and corporations point of view, but also the consumers point of view. So starting with the companies, what would you advise them in this particular space if they're operating in this space or if they're thinking just to be able to better advertise and target women of this age group? What tips would you give?
1: Well, I think... You know, know some of the underpinnings of this consumer. I mean, she is very discerning. Um, she likes personalized service. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to personalize everything, but she likes that personal touch, I should say. So, there's just, I think, just knowing the consumer and what, no matter what industry that you're in, there's some, mm-hmm. there's some really important insights that cross all the industries. You know, she's she's very skeptical at first. So you have to build trust. And um she word of mouth is super important. You know, we know it is with the other generations too, but she's it's like a literally a physical word of mouth. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just what I see on social media, I'm gonna respond to and buy. She's really has to hear from her girlfriends right if that's a good product or not.
0: Mm-hmm. And for the consumer themselves, exploring the space, which with 50 million plus women now in their menopause, what steps should she take to ensure that she's getting the best products for her buck?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, doing the research um, online, I think that's a very efficient way of looking at the consumer reviews. Reaching out, you know, she's really curious. Maybe it's a high ticket item or it's something she's ingesting. You know, she should have no problem reaching out to the company itself and learning more. I mean, I think it's just really taking the time to do the research and finding out, you know, ask around. Ask around to your immediate community. Um, but a lot of our our customers use reviews. And if the reviews are good and they read them they do. They read the reviews and they really do their homework before they buy anything.
0: Right. Well, uh, Sally, thank you so much for your time today. Before we wrap up, was there anything else you would like our listeners to hear from you?
1: Well, I, you had so many great questions. I can't think of anything that you didn't um, cover. I just, you know, I really encourage people to not be afraid of going after this this segment. Um mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's a really exciting, huge white space when you think about it. You know, there's so many opportunities. And I think the aging population is also just an incredible white space for um, different services, different products. And, you know, whether you're in the fashion industry or the beauty industry, the automotive industry, there's just there's so much innovation yet to yet to happen to better service this customer.
0: Right. And I love uh, something that you wrote on your website about how some of the smartest, coolest women are in this age group. And it's important to highlight that, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think also my advice too is lean on your network. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I already had so many women in this age group because they were my friends and my colleagues and, you know, my, all of my different um, industry friends. And so just picking their brains. And, you know, before I started Womanist, I got a lot of really good feedback from those women about what to do and what not to do. Right. You know, they did want to see me fail. So and I know (laughs) Michelle did the same thing with her friend group. So and then you look for like those common, you know, those common themes across the different 'Cause I, you know, I grew up in the Midwest, my I live in the Midwest, Michelle's in New York. So we had the coastal perspective, the Midwest perspective. So it's really important to really just keep listening and keep asking questions. Right.
0: Thank you so much for your time and all the work that you do to spread Thank awareness you. on this topic.
1: Thank you, Ellie. Thanks for the opportunity to tell my story. Oh